plan your route ahead of time. Again, look at train times, look at your journey, make sure you're not taking cut throughs. And last of all, trust your gut. I think that if something feels unsafe or you don't like where you are, um, your gut knows what's up, so. Sometimes the question of role models gets brought up when talking about inclusion and diversity and the question mark of whether or not there are enough role models. Well, absolutely there are. And we have got two wonderful role models that people can aspire to be in our tech industry. We're talking to Hannah Thompson, the founder of The Joy Club, and Emma Kay, founder and chief marketing officer, more on that, from WalkSafe. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast powered by the Harvey Nash Group and hosted by myself, David Savage. Joining me on today's podcast is Akish. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well, Dave. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. How do you how do you uh, make well? What do you make rather a free speech absolutionist Elon Musk bidding to win Twitter? Have you seen this? Yeah, I, I saw that. Didn't he have a meeting with the the heads of Twitter or something um, over the weekend or whatever? And for, what, what's the figure that's been thrown around? Forty three. Million? 43 billion 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 oh billion, billion us bit dollars off. just a bit off aren't I? yeah 43 uh, million is quite cheap <laughs> I was, 43 oh, billion i was gonna say there's footballers that are worth more than twitter yeah. uh, <laughs> um i think you should worry about putting up more electric charging stations across the world mate for his teslas than go and buy twitter to be fair I, th- I think his money would be used and, and probably appreciated by more people if he did that In better ways than, yeah. yeah you know if, if he if he started tesla electric stations and charging say like set up like like petrol pumps set up electric pumps i'm sure he's got the technology i mean you know mm-hmm. give, give me a shout and i can advise him but get the infrastructure in place for a bit of a sustainable network yeah exactly leave twitter alone it's fine uh but i'll tell you what is good though on twitter and they definitely need to carry on is twitter spaces i don't know if you've discovered that recently oh, yeah, or yeah, i no, don't I've, know if I've, you I, yeah i'm well aware i've yeah, yeah, several yeah. podcasts that i follow have, have done a twitter space would you want to yeah. do a twitter space akish it'd be quite good i, I was on a twitter space on uh, saturday afternoon actually um yeah. about my beloved football team and it was that it, to be fair it, it's actually a good list because it's like a podcast i bet, I bet that was life. a place of of, of oh, happiness yeah. and joy oh yeah there was a there was a there was a lot of cursing a lot of words uh but 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 i do want to say a lot of people that you wouldn't necessarily think that you would ever speak to and this sort of thing and like you know you, you then follow each other afterwards you're like yeah really like your point and you know, let's let's connect and stuff. You never know who you might meet, but yeah, it's, it's good, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and I was last night as well. I was on the sofa, and you know, I was just looking at different spaces that were available. It's, it's all right. It's decent. Yeah. Well, look, moving from that to today's topics. Uh, today we have two women, and we kind of thought we'd talk about this episode in terms of who do young women aspire to be, and then talking about two amazing women leading organisations who definitely could be people that, that that young women or actually to be honest let's not pigeonhole with young but but women could aspire to be because we might get first-time founders who are slightly more mature in years um so we're moving from elon musk who might have some admirable traits but honestly i don't think you should admire to be to a couple of people who you absolutely can admire and try and emulate uh the first interview um well we're going to get an introduction to the joy club so i'm talking to hannah thompson hannah um, you are the founder of the Joy Club. Thank you for for giving up some time today to have a chat. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, what are the, what is the Joy Club? Before we get into anything else, 
The Joy Club is an online activities club and community for retirees. So if you're retired or semi-retired, you've got a bit of time on your hands, you want to meet new people and try new things, you can head on down to the Joy Club and enjoy our live online events, our inspiring content, and also just being part of a joyful community. So the, the kind of the immediate kind of stuff that in my mind is like, well, surely it's not bingo online, you know, making kind of jokes about old people and what they get up to. I assume that it's kind of breaking through those biases about what retirement really is and actually how much people have to live and 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 kind of I suppose as my own own mum and dad are getting towards retirement, I'm beginning to get a slightly different perspective on actually how much people still want to have those connections and that community around them, right? That's absolutely right. You know, it used to be the case that we would retire, we would spend a couple of years pottering around the garden, pipe slippers, and and that would yeah. be it. All the stereotypes. Yeah, all yeah. Well, I mean, it was once like that, but now because life expectancy is increasing, and there are so many other things societally that are changing, we're now spending over twenty percent of our lives in retirement. So we've got a lot of time and a lot of energy and, and that presents a big opportunity. And when we look at tech, you know, the last ONS data found that particularly for those people in the first 10 years of retirement, so between the ages of 65 and 74, nine out of 10 of those are now regular internet users. So tech for this amazing demographic is much needed. Uh, and really important. Most founders try and fix problems that they see or problems that they are confronted with. Um, There's a difference between perhaps seeing elderly relatives going through a lived experience and experiencing yourself. What, what What was the inspiration here for the Joy Club? Because you're, you're, you're kind of well a very long way from retirement that's for sure so it it kind of it's it's just interesting to know kind of how that spark happened and where the inspiration came from yeah well I've always been really passionate about the potential for technology to make you know positive social change in the world so previously I've created tech for frontline NHS staff despite not being a frontline NHS staff member I've also worked on tech for new mums despite not being a mother and the inspiration for the joy club came from my own grandmother who was my best friend uh, the person I was closest to in my family and she was somebody that had a very normal working life she's a very dutiful teacher and mother and wife And then she got to retirement and just thought, do you know what? This is my time. I'm going to discover who I am and what brings me joy. So she went backpacking around New Zealand by herself. She went volunteering in Bulgaria. She got into painting and became an amazing painter. She tracked down her boyfriend from when she was like 15 years old and married him at the age of 75 um, and just had the most joyful, adventurous, connected time of her life. Then, sadly, I lost her to dementia. Uh, That got me interested in the challenges that people in later life face more broadly. And I began volunteering with Age UK and spending a lot of time with people in later life. And what I came to realise was that Granny Jean's experience of retirement was unusual. Mm -hmm. And instead, we're facing this epidemic of loneliness amongst older people. And so that was the light bulb moment when I thought, I'm going to bring together granny jean's blueprint for joyful retirement my decade of tech startup experience and this really interesting pressing social problem and i'm going to create something to share granny jean's sense of joy with as many retirees as possible 
How easy is that to do online? Because Granny Jean's experience sounds very, um, well, very, very kind of lived in a physical world. But uh, yeah, it would just be interesting to know how you've kind of gone about trying to piece that together in a way that actually works in, in a digital experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Granny Jean's joy was a, an offline kind of joy. So you are very right there. And, you know, being completely transparent, the first concept for the Joy Club was around offline experiences. And then COVID happened. And I'd raised the first angel round for the Joy Club, but I hadn't built anything yet, fortunately. So I was able to pivot quickly to an online community proposition. Um, and what was interesting there is that we discovered that online, even though at that moment it was necessary for us to provide an online experience, that online experience was adding value to our members in a way that we hadn't anticipated. They were trying things online with the Joy Club that they wouldn't have done otherwise. So for example, belly dancing has been a really popular class of ours. Uh, burlesque also. And these are people in their 60s and their 70s that would, you know, they've never done that before and they wouldn't go and do that in a town hall or anywhere else. But in the Joy Club, <clears throat> online with like-minded peers in a supportive community, that online modality is bringing them something special. And so it was born out of necessity, but it's become something very special. And we found even as the restrictions have lifted, our sign-up rates, our engagement, our event attendance has all increased. Uh, so there's real longevity in the proposition. Um, but looking to the future, you know, we'll certainly look to connect our members to each other for offline meetups because online will never replace offline. But it's going to be a hybrid proposition in the future. Is there something as well that it kind of speaks to that demographic in that maybe they are slightly more cautious about the world opening up? They're, they're perhaps are slightly more vulnerable, and so therefore, online is still a is still a really good space for them to be interacting. I think there is a bit of that, but I think like any age group, there's a real mix in attitudes. You know, some of them are just brave and bold and out there and 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 have been for as long as it's been possible. Um, other people are feeling a bit more cautious. You know, of course, the, the pandemic was very difficult for older people in the sense that the virus was particularly deadly for them. Uh, and then also they were expected to to shield in many cases. So it has been difficult for them. But we do have a range of attitudes. And, and, and what we're finding with the online element is it's more from a position of like adventure and discovery that they're liking it. You know, they're liking being connected to people across the UK that they wouldn't have otherwise met. They're liking meeting new people and connecting around new interests and trying things that they wouldn't have done otherwise. Now, hopefully I'm right in saying that this is your first time as a founder and mm -hmm. CEO, right? Correct. But you have worked in female-led growth tech businesses before in terms of role models mm -hmm. and people that you look to what have you tried to take from what you've previously seen into into your experience now yes and yeah I have so this is the first time I found a CEO um, but I've held a number of senior roles in other people's startups I've been a COO of a digital health tech startup uh, I've been the managing director of a PR agency. Uh, I've been head of strategic partnerships at a femtech startup, uh, LV. And I was there from, you know, pre-launch to Series B. Uh, and then fairly soon after that, uh, 
started the Joy Club. And so I think the key person to give a shout out to here would be Tanya Bola, who's the founder CEO of LV. Um, so she tracked me down uh, through a couple of degrees of separation uh, and invited me to be part of the LV journey back in 2015. So I joined pre-launch, I think I was number five or six into that team and was then a part of that growth story uh, in my health, wellness and strategic partnerships capacity. And very, very early on in my LV journey, Tanya had said to me, you know, Hannah, I, um, I see in you somebody who will one day go and start your own business. And I just want you to know that when that time comes, I won't begrudge you, I will support you, and I will be your first investor. And, you know, fortunately, she she made good on that. So she was the first investor for the Joy Club. She covered the first angel round for us back in 2020. She's the chair of the Joy Club board. And so she's been a big part of my journey. And she actually was the one who said, Hannah, you're ready now, you're ready to go and found your own business. Um, so she has been hugely active and encouraged me to step into this role and has also been really just amazing in everything to do with fundraising and growth. Uh, she's an incredible fundraiser and access to capital, of course, is, is one of the big kind of barriers to overcome in early stage startup life. So having her expertise and her network um, has been huge. We've touched on funding on, on a couple of occasions. Why is it such a barrier? Without wanting to sound, well, sorry, oversimplify a, a question that's been spoken about on a number of different podcasts and, and, and news outlets on a number of occasions. Why do you think it's still such a barrier? <laughs> sure. I mean, so a barrier in general, you know, obviously startup life, you're creating something that's going to be cash negative for the first few years. So hitting the metrics that investors want to see so that they can believe that one day you're going to be big and impressive and profitable is um is you just got to do it and you know nine out of ten startups fail so that's a big that's a big barrier to overcome and I think you then have the additional barrier as a female founder particularly a sole female founder now what we know in the UK is that of all of the venture capital funding only 1% of that goes to sole female founders. Um, so 1p out of every pound, uh, which is just ridiculous. And it's hard as a sole female founder to personally reflect on why that might be, because you're only ever a female founder. So you don't know what it is to be a male founder pitching to investors. But there's some really interesting work in this space that I think shines a light on the issue. Um, particularly Dana Cans and her work. She's an assistant professor at LBS, and she wanted to understand why is it that female founders are getting less venture capital funding. And she analysed the transcripts from a pitch night. And what she found in those transcripts was that male founders were getting, you know, all of the questions they were getting from investors after the pitch, two thirds of those questions were around promotion, upside. So the male founders were being asked, that's an interesting idea. How much money could you make if this went really well? And then looking at the transcripts for the female founders, two thirds of the questions they were getting uh, were around prevention, downside, risk, 
so they were saying, you know, that's an interesting idea. What could go wrong or what happens if this goes wrong? So in terms of the airtime for female founders, they're getting steered down this road of risk and downside. Male founders being steered down this road of upside and, you know, the, the exciting potential there. And so Dana Cans found that actually that's a, a really significant factor in the decision then of that investor to take it forward because the female founders ventures appear riskier even though they might not be it's just the questions that are being directed to them it's, it's interesting it's like bias in the recruiting process and trying to trying to strip bias out of the recruiting process if you could get a, a an ai bot to do the uh the analysis about whether or not you should invest or not you might get some radical radically different results Possibly, although AI is renowned for building on patterns. So it might well, just true, be true. worse. <laughs> That's a good point. So yeah, um, I mean, there are VCs though that are trying that and like an AI-based approach. But I think as well, it's a case of, you know, knowing that. And, and now as a female founder, if I find that I'm getting a lot of prevention downside yeah. risk questions, I acknowledge those, but then I just flip it, you know, flip it to an upside question, um, give myself some airtime there on the positive like potential and the massive potential for the business. Um, so I think it's just around, you know, reading around the barrier, understanding why it is that it might be happening and then giving yourself the best possible chance by being clever uh, in the conversation. That's some, that's some good, solid advice there. Um, look, you mentioned that Tanya herself kind of was, was um, you know, the, the first investor. How important do you think that community aspect of, of women perhaps helping other women in this in this arena is i mean i've had podcast episodes before where i've spoken to founders who were hitting their head against a brick wall with the vc community and then went right i'm going to do a community focused female only investment round and it just just went off overnight it, it seems to be a, a kind of an untapped uh, resource in terms of a real kind of dynamic support in amongst um, in amongst that community yeah, I would say so. I mean, what's interesting, though, just to go back to the Dana Cans work, what she found was that it didn't matter if the investor was male or female asking the questions. It was the same, the same pattern held. Right. Um, so it could be that there's this culture that is so strong in VC that the women now moving into VC, it, just because you're speaking to a woman, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be, you know, they're going to hand you a check. Um, but yes, there are some amazingly supportive female investors out there and female advisors you know Tanya has been a massive part of my journey as first investor and chair of the board Jane Reddin as well is an advisor to me on all things people and talent and culture and she is just you know a rock uh, and has been instrumental in our our growth and success uh, we're just about to welcome another female board member on as well you know when we look at the joy club cap table um it's about two-thirds men in the cap table, male investors, but actually the female shareholders own the majority of the business. Um, so there is a mixture. I I think it is important for women to support each other, but I also don't think that the answer is that women just need to stick together and stay away from the men. I think it's, it's a case <laughs> of moving forward together uh, and just being aware of some of the, the cultural biases that might be going on very often unbeknownst to that individual you know it's yeah. uh, it's so far entrenched so i think it's yeah rather than creating small pockets that are female only i i think it's it's making progress altogether there's some fascinating insight in there and some thought-provoking stuff and i imagine if there's a female vc listening who might be beginning to question 
the questions that they ask. So, yeah, look, I, I really appreciate you giving up some time. I hope that the Joy Club continues to go well. Uh, like I said, my own parents are coming up towards retirement age. They're still not particularly tech savvy, though. My dad dad spent a career in the church. I don't think it goes well with technology, but... Uh... <laughs> you know, we've got some... Yeah, we've got a whole range of people. And, you know, the key to success with the Joy Club has been to involve the demographic in the process yeah. from the beginning. So they've come up with the name, the activities, they've tested the product for me. So, yeah. And and the community team is on the end of the phone. So, yeah, send, send them over to thejoyclub.com. Will do. Thank you very much for your time, Hannah. Thanks, Dave. Right. Did, did you have a granny gene figure I, in your life? I didn't. I didn't. Sure. Hearing this, uh, I, I actually I actually am probably one of the misfortunate people. Uh, I'm sure there's many of me in the world, but I didn't really have grandparents growing up. I mean, my mum lost her parents when she was fairly young. And um, yeah. Did you have an, an elderly great aunt or something? Or? Nah, not really, man. I, like grandparents and anyone with grand wasn't really something in in my family so um, but but that's all right it's fine mate it's some 30 years old it's all right (laughs) we're not gonna we're not gonna turn the podcast into a little counseling session no i've I've got over it it's fine but i um obviously i've I've got cousins and stuff that have grandparents and i've seen that relationship and whatnot and friends and all that sort of thing and yeah granny uh granny is it jean Jeannie? I think it's Jean. Granny Jean, yeah. Granny Jean. Granny Jean sounds sounds like a bit of a lit. Just just picked up a bag and started uh, backpacking around the other side of the world. Like, yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree. Granny Granny Jean sounds like a bit of a ledge. Also, it reminded me of Captain Crelly's Mandolin really randomly. Not the film, because the film they changed the ending of the book, but the book, yeah. whirlwind romance, uh, under great pressure during the war, and then they lose touch with each other. And at the end of the book, they find each other years mm. and years and years later. So she was telling that story about kind of her boyfriend of 15, 15 years old and then finding him and marrying him age 75. I was like, yes, bit Captain Crelly's mandolin right there. Proper love story, that, isn't it? That's, that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a proper love story. I mean, that, you, have that... you seen When Harry Met Sally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, those little yeah. couple interviews that they do halfway through, like in the various sections of the film. I think there's a few like that. Oh, you know, found each other 40 years later. Yeah. They look just the same. yeah like brilliant yeah yeah I've, I've seen a few things like that as well people like reconnecting with their old flames and stuff but love it yeah and the serious the serious point being that elderly people might be lonely and might struggle to find people who who share similar interests yeah absolutely and, and i think um i think she alluded to it in the interview right with the whole pandemic i think it was definitely something which uh, I mean, they said, right, it, it was hitting younger people and elderly people a lot worse um, just because a large part of their socialization was with people and physical. And I think um, not being able to do that, you know, it, it really had a knock on effect. And the fact that they can kind of embrace technology, embrace the change and are still able to then, you know, connect with other people. I think it's I, th- I think it's really, really good. Um, yeah. And, and and to be fair, I've seen a I've seen a live um, I say a live, but there's a small example from my personal life actually. Like my um, so so my old man, he's you know suffered a cardiac arrest, all that sort of thing last year. But he's slowly uh, kind of trying to get a bit more physical, a bit more active, and he's um, he's joined a walking cricket uh, club. Now so, walking football, I know walking. Yeah, it, so it's basically cricket, but walking like even slower, um, and it's for like fifty-five and above. And no such thing as a quick single. No, <laughs> literally, mate. Um, but I've I've actually gone to watch him uh, a couple of times or watch them play. 
and yeah, like I said, I mean, he's he's kind of late fifties, um, and like he's developed like these group of friends, and you know now they've all kind of got tickets to go and watch like actual cricket together and stuff like that. And he would never ever like he'd never ever come across them in in any walk of life. So yeah. you know things like that for for the older generation, um, I think work really well, and it's just, it's just good to see them. And even as children or grandchildren and stuff, if you see them have a good time, it it, it it kind of makes you feel a bit good because you're like, well, you know, that's one less job that I have to do. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, at least um, at least they're having fun, you know, at, yeah, at that age yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah, I like it. I really like this idea, actually. I thought Hannah's points as well around the VC community were really interesting because mm. it's 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 it kind of makes you remember that it's not just a case here of making something more inclusive having more diversity, having more people of, you know, equal gender in a sector. Because if the sector is set up in such a particular way, like the VC community, and there's a culture around it, that even women entering that 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 space then become biased themselves and the same views perpetuate. And I think that's a really good point to make. It shows that there's a lot of work to do. It runs deeper. There is kind of a whole rewiring of the way that we we think. And that's borne out in the fact that that, you know, from a funding perspective, she's had to really tap into that that female community of founders to help support her. Did did you did you find that um, a shock, or did you kind of assume that maybe that was a, a an issue already? I'm not sure. I found it a shock. I, I don't know about you, but when she talks about VCs, therefore being exposed to the same biases and then displaying the same behaviors it's it's not shock i suppose it's like realization and a, and a kind of a oh yeah of course yeah you know yeah because i because i'll be honest I, I i was quite shocked listening to that especially the transcript stuff um that she talked about around the whole you know when they actually went word for word on kind of what was being asked what was being pitched and and the kind of commentary behind it mm. people were like you know, it's it almost like you were just assuming because you're a man, you're you're going to be a success. Whereas if you're a female, then even if we give you the money, are you just going to crash it all into the ground and then, yeah, you know, kind of go off with it or something? Do you know what I mean? It was just a bit like, and I would have thought because the scale up startup community is a lot less mature than any other kind of industry, that sort of thing, um, like your traditional, you know, industries, then. Um, yeah, I just, I just thought I, I thought they would be a bit more inclusive, but obviously not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, some brilliant points from Hannah throughout this interview. We're going to switch our focus. We're going to talk uh, in the second half of the show um, with and about uh, Walk Safe uh, with their with their founder and chief marketing officer Emma Kay. Pause there before we play the interview because normally founder CEO, not founder. CMO. She put up an interesting post um, about this, saying that she'd had the pleasure of, uh, of appearing on the podcast and that I'd mentioned that she was founder and CMO rather than CEO. And her response was uh, very quick on this to say that she's very aware of her strengths and weaknesses, strengths of communication skills, abilities to communicate with my audience in an authentic and genuine way, which we know is very important, obviously, for startups. I really do speak from heart. And when I'm on a live interview debate or a podcast, my passion and dedication to walk safe needs to shine through. And it's vital to me that it does. I think that's such like if we're talking about kind of um, role models and people, you know, people who are asp uh, asp uh, um, aspiring figures 
that people can aspire to be rather aspirational, I suppose. Um, that's a brilliant trait to have that awareness to go founder and CMO, not CEO, and have a really clearly articulated reason why. Because let's face it, the default is founder and CEO. Mm. Uh, and I think, uh, well, I mean, I mean, just reading that post, I think it it just kind of screams a bit, a lot more kind of passion. Like I, I don't know. I think I think CEOs are maybe a little bit like, well, you know, what's our share price and what's our shareholders and you know what's our returns and what's our you know kind of um, what what are the people saying? What's our competitors in this sort of thing? Whereas I think she's kind of mm. stripping that back and going, Do you know what, I'm I'm kind of you know that's not me I'm, yeah exactly I'm, I'm kind of just wearing what i feel passionate about and yeah wearing in a, in a in a sense that you know she's she's advertising it being bold and, and kind of saying yeah she's marketing her own product so yeah um yeah i think it's good i think it's good I, i'd love to see what the uh what, what the footsie ceos think of that post to be fair the you know who go to work in a blue suit white shirt and you know kind of um yeah you know the 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 kind of city life and the set in some sort of ivory tower but yeah um but i i like that i like that it's it's a, it's a change up right yeah absolutely look we will hand over to the interview we'll not let you um or keep you from it much longer so emma k founder and chief marketing officer of walk safe akish thanks for your time today no problem so today i'm joined by Emma Kay, founder of, make sure I get this right, because I think in, in an email I might put safe walk, but it is walk safe, all one word, limited, right? Yes, it is. Hi, thank you for having me today. And as an offering, if someone's looking for walk safe and they were to go onto kind of an app store or something, they, they would look, literally just search for walk safe as one word, right? Yes, dot io is what we are, walksafe.io on Instagram. Walksafe.io. Uh, and Google Play, yeah. Cool. Always worth making sure that that's nice and clear. <laughs> um, look, before we get into anything else, what is WalkSafe? So WalkSafe is a free personal safety app that you can use should you feel unsafe or if you'd like to feel like you've got an extra layer or comfort in your sort of security personal safety toolbox should you need it if you go out and about. So we are the only app out there that uses Royal Police Crime Data and we um, are big on prevention. So I really feel that our app is about making safer choices and pre-planning your journey and thinking about your route before you leave the house. Um, so we're really big on checking your map for where um, crime hotspots are so you can start to see patterns of these crimes so you can plan a safer route. We also are big on, say you're about to go out on a night out and you're anything like me and you forget to text your partner, you can set um, your home safe feature um, before you leave the house. If you say, right, I'm gonna be back before 12, I want my husband to check in on me. Um, if you don't arrive home at 12, a last known location gets sent to your loved one. And if you do, all good, he'll know you've arrived home safely. So I, I think our app, it's really vital for everyone to know, A, we're free. Um, we believe that safety is a fundamental human right. And um, yeah, we're, we're really big on prevention. I think that's really important that um, it's thought about before you leave the house rather than when you're in a bit of a sticky situation. 
I think we'll come into prevention in, in a bit more detail because I think that's a really interesting area. But from from a from a standpoint of of technology, technology makes this app work now. I suppose in the twenty first century, in a way, and, and and kind of giving that added sense of security that wouldn't have existed maybe ten years ago. I suppose yeah. what I'm asking is what why an app? Why why is why is just simply planning and you know is is it not enough just to be able to set a reminder why why do we specifically need a platform to do this for us? I kind of think we all lead really busy lives now. I think our phones are pinging, we've got a million and one jobs to do. If you're anything like me, you've got the dinner to make, the dogs are running around, the kids are crying, there's something going on. And I think we all have the best intentions in life to kind of, oh yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch over your journey, oh yeah, yeah, I'll text you. And then inevitably, sometimes just life gets in the way. And we kind of believe in taking that stress off of you that if you feel like you've done it beforehand you can relax enjoy your day or go out or know that you've done something ahead of time that's taken the stress away from you it, it sometimes things like this feel like another job so our app's there to kind of alleviate that and um yeah put something in place before you go out which should hopefully make everyone feel a little bit more comforted now something i wanted to ask about and i think this has to do a lot with why um walk safer exists you're founder but you're not ceo you're cmo why that decision because so many founders normally they are founder and ceo um good question i know my strengths and i feel that my strengths are um connecting with my audience i'm a gemini so i'm really good at communicating and I really believe that my vision for the app and the tone of voice of the business has to come from me. And I think that's a full-time role in itself. I do a hell of a lot of PR. I'm doing a lot of podcasts like we're doing now. Um, I really feel that the tone of which I'm writing my newsletters, I'm doing all the social media, um, I think that has to come from me as a woman and someone who's experienced this. I've had other people try to take that role and maybe write um, on behalf of me and it's never really worked. And I feel that um, in order to connect with people and people to understand and trust our, our brand, which is Walk Safe, I think they need to know that um, it comes from a place of someone who's experienced it. And I just feel that it's actually quite an important role and one that's overlooked. And I'm not great at the constant emails and the CEO stuff. I mean, I know my strengths and I kind of feel I don't want to overstretch myself. I've, I've got an amazing team. Um, we've got 10 people in our team and our CEO, Mike, is incredible. He's very, uh, he, he's great at operations. He's a real, you know, he can churn through so much stuff. And I kind of think that allows me to be really creative and um really hone in on what I'm good at. So my core strengths, which is public speaking and the PR. So yeah, I, I, I just think that um, maybe the art of a good leader is knowing what you're good at and what you're not. And to then delegate that out to other people who could do a better job than you. It's interesting that you talk about, you know, you, you've experienced this and you want people to connect. I suppose in the light of awful um, tragedies like Sarah Everard, which I suppose is 
is kind of those instances where you know when you've got alerts to text your partner and last known locations kind of specifically targeting kind of and trying to pre- prevent those instances um i i would have thought that the the the, the sales job and getting people to understand the, the importance for this has been made slightly easier but is it difficult still i mean I understand that it's that it's incredibly important that this is you and it's credible and it's genuine, but is it still difficult for people to really kind of make that connection and understand how this can this this can really be something that trust they they can trust and, and help them? Um, I think that we're dealing with a really sensitive subject matter that um, can trigger a lot of people, and I think that. The language which we use needs to be sensitive at all times. I think our tone of voice always needs to make sure that we're not victim blaming. I think that it's it's multifaceted and it's one that regularly, even if I write something, I come back to it. I think of it from different perspectives. Um, I think that people understand that there is a need. Um, but then again, a lot of people might not understand there's a need. There's always that, well, it won't happen to me. I'm fine. That's someone else. I think that... Um, we're just trying to educate and educate sensitively and provide people with all the information that they may need to come to their own sort of decisions. Um, Mm. And another thing we try to do is really show to people that even if you think that you're okay and you're not worried about your own safety, could you be worried about someone else's? And does that then, um, do you make decisions based on helping another person and thinking about that wider community, even if it's not, you per se would you download to make sure that your daughter's getting home safely your friend's getting home safely it's just thinking about everybody else and it's been a learning curve I think that another thing we've realized throughout our journey is um the user psyche is quite complex right so people think Mm. um something tragic happens they rush out and download and that, that need for I need to act, I need to act now happens. And then what happens again, a few months go by, they forget about it, there's no need again. So we do see spikes like that around these instances. Um, but um, as well, I think that um, it's just a case of everyone kind of, I don't know, feeling like they're doing something to help them feel safer, whether that be an app, whether that be a self-defense class, I think that, as I said earlier, having that extra little tool in your toolbox makes you feel more empowered. And I think that's uh, vital in all of this. We often think of growth and user acquisition when we're talking about kind of growth businesses and startups in, in tech. You said there about helping people feel empowered. And I would imagine your message resonates very much with um, women and, and suggesting that they use this app. But equally, you kind of allude to the fact that maybe it's husbands, fathers, who are suggesting that people download this. And I I live in a fairly rural community. The crime statistics here are very, very low. Yet my wife feels less safe walking around this village in the dark than she did walking around London in the dark, which statistically is far more unsafe. And I will go and meet her at the station rather than her walk home alone and and so on. And I wouldn't think anything of walking around here in the dark. In terms of user acquisition, is that an interesting balancing act that that there are two very different demographics there? There are women who have lived this experience and are looking for empowerment. And then there might be partners and family who are worried and want to want to help and and getting that messaging right. But it's two it's two very different messages, right? 
Yeah, totally. Um, I did a talk with the Home Office not long ago. And what was wonderful was um, I actually had a lot of men who joined the Q&A at the end and were really asking how can they help and um, that is it a is it silly to think that a journey that even lasts three minutes could be a journey and if so if that was a dangerous part is it sensible for me to worry about it and I was like yes any journey of any length of time any duration if you're walking alone and you feel unsafe and you've still got to get from A to B that's still a journey and I think there mm. was that uh, sort of I would like to do more I'd like to help please can you explain to me what would be the sort of things I could do to help and I think it was wonderful to have men who were uh, open to that conversation wanted to participate and even if, like you said, it wasn't for them, it was what could they do to help keep others in their life safe. So you're right, our core demographic is 75% female, but there will always be people in other gender minorities that are benefiting from our app and um, men who would perhaps like to use it to help keep others safe. I mean, our app as well, talking about that user psyche I touched on earlier, is people don't want to be tracked. We understand that. So they want to be able to opt in and opt out of something especially if you're a teenager and you, you're, you've got your mum and dad breathing down your neck, you don't want that. You want to be able to have no. something maybe like a wrap where you can say, look, mum, we'll be back by 12. If, I, if I'm if i not, again, a last known location will be sent to you and it will jog the mum to make sure you check in. You know, I think that that's a real opt-in and opt-out. We don't, we don't follow them all around all the time. It's not like that. And I think that also can give um, parents that bit of knowledge and control but also the the child or teenager will feel in control because at the end of the day they know their mum's not watching everything they do if they just don't get home by that time so there's something like a, a bit a bit of a bargaining tool there which we find that works quite well and like we said people don't want big brother watching over them you know i i think there are a lot of apps out there that have that are great and i i always say we might not be for everyone we're like car insurance you go and compare the market there will be someone on there for you if you like one thing that one app offers compared to another one but i think that the the market research we've done shows that people are quite complex they want to be they don't want to be trapped but yet if god forbid any they're in the worst case scenario they want everyone to be alerted their friends their family the police they want everyone so it's quite a hard balance of when you have an SOS button, who do we link it to? Do you want it to your trusted friends and family or do you want it straight to the nines? It's, again, that user journey and the user sort of mindset. It's not a straightforward one. And it's one we're always, you know, um, trying to keep up with and work with and keep our users at the front of our every decision in, in our minds because it's it's not straightforward. It's quite complex. Yeah. Look, uh, just on that prevention piece, what what are the top tips that you can give to someone um, if they are planning even a even a three minute journey and they don't know whether or not it's it's going to be safe or not? Um, good question. So I always say share your journey. Um, it doesn't matter what route you're taking. If you've got to get public transport, then I think that it's vital that you share your route and share it with someone who you know. Um, could help in that scenario plan your route ahead of time again look at train times look at your journey make sure you're not taking cut throughs and last of all trust your gut I think that if something feels unsafe or you don't like where you are um your gut knows what's up so yeah always listen to that and as a founder what are the lessons that you've learned that you would pass on to other people who maybe have a problem that they're trying to solve 
and think that technology might be the answer to it? Um, as a founder, I always think um, you've just got to keep going, keep working at it. And I think that, again, like I touched on, um, if you think it's worth doing and you think that um, you see some a need or a, a desire or if you think that there's something in it then keep working at it i think at times when we brought out um, the app at the beginning if there was this is before sir everard's death i think people just sort of safety out why would anyone need that and now look where we are so i think mm -hmm. if you see even if no one else does if you see something in it just keep keep working on it and kind of just have that faith and belief in yourself look it's been a real pleasure to speak to you today um I think, yeah, obviously, um, whilst uh, tragic events bring this to the forefront of people's minds, it's something that has existed for some time and will unfortunately go on existing. So um, a really wonderful platform and service to, to, to try and help people feel safe. So I hope it continues to be downloaded and used and good luck in your journey ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.